Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and our guest today is easily one of my favorite podcasters, Juliet Littman. She's the host of Bachelor Party and Jam Session on the Ringer Network. In addition to her work as a podcast host, she is also the head of production at the Ringer. Today, we talk about Juliet's passion for TV and books, the types of stories that resonate with her, and the changes she would implement were she suddenly handed the reins to the Bachelor franchise. The Stacks Book Club pick for August is Emergency Contact by Mary H.K. Choi. We'll be discussing the book on the show on Wednesday, August 25th with Juliet Littman. If you love the Stacks and want to support the show, please consider joining the Stacks on Patreon. You earn perks like our monthly virtual book club and shout outs on the show. Plus, you get to know that your monthly contribution makes this show possible. If you want to join the Stacks Pack, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. And I want to say a special thank you to our newest members. Lucy Herman, Joy Yamaguchi, Donna Johnson, and Love Wallace. Thank you so much for your generosity and for allowing me to create a show I love and am so supremely proud of. Now, it's time for you all to hear from Juliet Littman. All right, everybody. I am here today with one of my personal favorite podcasters in the history of podcasting, uh, Juliet Littman. She's the host of Bachelor Party on the Ringer Network. Juliet, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you so much for having me. I am so delighted to talk about books and not reality television. It's great. Oh, we can talk about reality TV if you really want to. We're going to talk a little bit about reality TV, but we're going to talk okay. about sort more about you and less about like what happened this week on The Bachelor. Okay. <laughs> like, we don't need to do a Great. recap. If people want to know what happened this week, you can go listen to Juliet's podcast. Um, so we kind of always start in the same place, which is super general. Everyone hates this question. But can you kind of just tell the people a little bit about yourself that isn't your professional biography? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am a native New Yorker back in New York after 13 years in California. And I love pop culture. I've always loved to read. The first book that I really loved was um, The Cider House Rules, very immediately followed by The World According to Garp. Um, And I love the Backstreet Boys and I (laughs) watch videos of ER um, on YouTube and on my television all the time. And I would say the reason I got into podcasting and that I have the job that I do is because I've just always been like a very 
enthusiastic lover of things and people. Um, and that has led me to, to wish that many fictional characters were real beginning with Garp. So (laughs) I love that. You also love Grey's Anatomy, which is something that we do love Grey's Anatomy. Yes. I've seen every episode. I I would have defended it to the, to the death until this past season. This past season was like, it was not great. Honestly upsetting. It It was was really, it was upsetting. It was, but, um, but yeah, I just like, you know, like so many people, the escapism of serialized television and like really immersive novels just like make me emotional. So it's just like kind of what, and, and the music of the Backstreet Boys. So that's like those, yeah, those are the things that I love. I love this. I love this. Um, so I, I've talked about you on my podcast before, not in a super creepy way, but just as a fan <laughs> of you, I love, I love the bachelor and the bachelorette. And a lot of people are always really surprised by that because they're like, you're a book person. I'm like, I'm the like lowest brow book person you're probably ever going to find. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about sort of like how you found your way into becoming like this bachelor reality TV person because you, you were at Grantland and then, so kind of fill us in like that part of your story. Sure. Yeah. Um, I am really lucky that I got to work at Grantland. I really wanted to work there. Grantland was a sports and pop culture, like online magazine website um, that was part of ESPN from 2011 to 2015. I started out as like a sort of like third party person working on the books that we used to make. And then I became like a social media person. And then I was a special projects editor. And along the way, I became good office friends with my friend David Jacoby who is on TV every day on Jalen and Jacoby and Jacoby and I used to like just be in the office and like yelling to each other across cubicles about TV and the challenge and and housewives and Jacoby was running our podcasts at Grantland and Bill Simmons who was and is my boss and mentor um, was like Jacoby you guys should do a reality pod and it's supposed to be like Jacoby's pod at first but then like I just was like the first guest and then the only guest and then it became our podcast um (laughs) And really like our friendship and sort of like our shared interests became our, our podcast. And honestly, like Bill and Jacoby really encouraged me to do what I'm doing and have put me in this position to succeed that then I, you know, really took the opportunity and went with it. But, um, you know, I, my mom and I like love talking about TV and books together. And I, I like to tell people I got my first television in my bedroom when I was eight and I firmly do not believe that it's the bad to watch TV before sleep and whatever. Um, and I've just like always have loved television. Like I, I remember watching, um, life goes on on Sunday nights and like, I never had like a bedtime or a curfew. And like my mom also, my mom is like the smartest person in the world. And she just like, also was like incredibly, you know, lowbrow when, when the, when the moment calls for it. And so I think I just like kind of like grew up, um, thinking that TV and, and, and books really kind of like went together. Um, and I feel like TV, you know, has kind of like evolved similarly to books. Like, you know, I'm the person who will tell you that Dickens was paid per word and that's why his books are so long. (laughs) And like, it's sort of similar, like TV shows had 22 episodes because they had to fill time. And like, it's kind of, they're, I, I think TV has taken the place that books have. And, um, I just, those have always been the two things I love. And I don't know, I, I TV just kind of like allowed me to find a lot of friends professionally. And right. I'm really lucky that podcasting started at a formative time in my career so that I was able to parlay that into what I'm doing now. Yeah. Do you, um, sorry, I talked a lot. No, please. <laughs> it's a podcast. What else are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> I'm so, okay. So one of the things that I love about you and that 
people also I often get asked about so I'm really curious your answer is you will like talk shit about things or people that like later come on your show or like you know and I'm so curious because that's what I love about your shows I'm like Juliet's gonna tell it like it is she's gonna say like that blueberry bagel should not be a thing you know and like and (laughs) we're gonna have that conversation and like it's okay but I'm wondering how you sort of approach your level of honesty, knowing that like contestants might be listening or people that you might reach out to later and like you've made fun of their jeans and now you have to be like, hi, it's I, I love your fashion sense. <laughs> yeah. So I try not to lie. So I actually earlier today um, did a podcast with Pilot Pete, the former oh. bachelor. And I've definitely been said a lot of mean things about him. And at the beginning of our podcast, I was just like, Peter, I've insulted you a lot. But I'm, I, I'd be happy to discuss any of it if you want to. So my general rule is I try not to say anything that I wouldn't be comfortable saying to someone's face eventually. Right. I think with reality TV people, it's a little bit different than um, novelists or politicians or filmmakers because they put themselves in a position to like mm-hmm. be picked apart. So I think that they come into it with like kind of a thick, a thicker skin than some other public figures. Um, but in general, I think if you're being honest and earnest, um, which I think, you know, ultimately, hopefully at the heart of a lot of my work, um, it's defendable. And so then I don't feel bad about it. So, you know, I try not to take cheap shots. I think the hardest thing with the bachelor is, is, um, not commenting on people's appearance in a a really mean way. Um, and it's come up a lot with Katie this season because like, of her her fashion and I don't know I just feel like we've been talking about how she looks I think part of that is because the season is so thin there's yeah. like not a lot of else to discuss but I would say that's the hardest part and I think also another hard part is navigating the double standards of how you critique men versus women and trying to be fair while also acknowledging the critiques of men and the critiques of women are not the same because society treats them right. differently so that, those are kind of the harder parts. And then, of course, um, the most challenging thing has been um, conversations about race, you know, just sort of acknowledging that I'm I'm not the person to lead on those conversations, right. but I, I'd like to help facilitate them right. and help be, you know, a, a conscious part participant in, in the conversations around The Bachelor, which have been, you know, really urgent and intense over the last year. But um, I'm, I'm really lucky to to work with and, and know a lot of people who, who can and, and do lead those conversations. Right. And so I've just been happy to, to be a part of them. That was my next question for you, which is sort of like, as a person who's listened to your show for years, I know that it's usually like pretty light. And of course, when things come up, like I remember when Becca Kufrin's fiance, Garrett, like his stuff came up, you always talk about it. But in, in the sort of you know, quote unquote, racial reckoning of 2020 and then Matt James's season and then Chris Harrison's whole moment. Like it felt like your show had to talk a lot about race, which is something that you guys really didn't do a ton here and there. Like there were criticisms, but I'm wondering sort of what that was like for you as a white woman having to like have these conversations every single week and figuring out how you're going to speak to it as the best that you can, because you are a white woman and you can't just rely on Rachel Lindsay or, you know, like you, you had to take control of those conversations. So I'm wondering sort of how you approach that aside from bringing in other voices. Yeah. Um, well it's, it's challenging because I think one of the things I'm, I'm most wary of is not putting the burden on the people of color in my life to be the ones to teach me or teach anyone or like lead those conversations. So 
what I what I've been trying to do is just like learn so that I can be an ally and speak from a, a place of um, education without always trying to rely on other people. And so like trying to quote other podcasts or articles when I've read something that I feel like is, you know, really relevant. Um, but also, you know, trying to just do better with the diversity of voices, not just in terms of race, but in terms of gender and, and, um, perspective that is, that's on the show. And so, you know, it, it's really hard. Honestly, I am so lucky to know Rachel just because <laughs> she was at the center of this storm. She, is like an incredible moral compass. She speaks with so much honesty and compassion that I think following in her lead, even if she's not on my show every week is such a gift. And I'm, I'm really grateful um, to know her. And I think she's just like incredibly gracious with her time. Um, So much is asked of her. And if you, if you don't know, Rachel Lindsay was the bachelorette. She was the first black lead and she um, also then was the target of a lot of hate in the last year and her podcast higher learning as part of the ringer podcast network. And she and her co-host family then have talked a lot about this stuff too. So, and the show's you know fantastic. I, I, if you have not listened, it's another yeah, one of it's my awesome. favorites. It's so good. Just, yeah. They're, they're amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think like being white, I'm just trying to acknowledge the um, limitations that I have to understand what it's like to not be white. And so trying to listen and it's a constant work in process and like, and in progress, progress. Um, and I, I try to, um, I'm trying really hard to be better about the guests that I have on the show so that it's not just asking one person to always like come in and speak to something. Um, but you know, I, one of my favorite episodes with, with my friend Wesley Morris, where Wesley doesn't even really watch the bachelor, but he had written this piece, which he's since since won a Pulitzer for about how, um, reparations should be televised and how like there needs to be like a national event that sort of reckons with America's racial racial history that's on TV and like is enter- almost like entertainment. And so then when the, when the, after the final rose with the manual Acho happened, I was like, this is kind of what Wesley was calling for. And so it was like, that was one of my favorite episodes. Cause it was a, a really, um, I thought a really like intellectual and substantive conversation about how to talk about race on TV. And I just was lucky that Wesley had written that piece. So I could, I could ask him to talk about it with me. And it it wasn't like, it wasn't totally random because he doesn't really watch the show. So, and he, he actually does watch sometimes. So anyway, just been trying to lean on people's expertise and not just like the color of their skin or their experience essentially. So I don't know. I I'm, you know, I'm open to, feedback and criticism and I'd love to hear how people think I'm doing how you think I'm doing because I, I honestly just would like to keep improving and so I I do people you know people have a lot of strong opinions and I, I try to read all of the messages to just do better yeah well my opinion is I actually think you're doing a really good job because I think the thing that is hard as at least as a viewer of the show and a listener to your show is like I really and I'm a black woman but like I'm really not here for a lot of that and so it's frustrating when like I have to deal with that just to watch my favorite show that I'm supposed to be watching to like you know zone out and I feel like you have done a great job of sort of balancing knowing that people are trying to watch The Bachelor and also yeah and also like that this is very real and like you can't really get away from racism in America and especially when you have Matt James as the first black male lead and then you have this whole Rachel Kirk and like it just was like the nightmare of scenarios for I think a lot of people 
Um, but I think you, no one wanted this. No. Yeah. Like all I wanted was for Matt James to be hot and like date girls, you know, like that's (laughs) what I, like, I was like, oh my God, it's Matt James. He's so hot. Like, we're just going to see him be hot. I still don't think I have any idea who Matt James is. And that really fucking sucks. Yeah. That's one of the biggest problems with the show lately is that they don't know how to develop characters. And I don't know why that changed because I was just talking about this. It felt like with Hannah's season, we really knew who the final four were and they were all really different and they developed those four guys really well. And that's something that used to happen is like, even if you didn't know anyone, you didn't know everyone, there was like four to six contestants that you really felt like you knew. Now we're at the end of this season, or I don't know when this is going to air, but we're at the end of the season with Katie and her final three or final four. One of them, Justin, seems great, but I literally know nothing about him. I did not know his name until this past week. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, which guy is that? Yeah. It's a problem of character development. So I, I hope they can improve. I don't know. I just feel like the Bachelor of the Center cannot hold. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think that they're due for some sort of something's got to change around there aside from Chris Harrison. But uh, okay. So talking about you getting feedback, I've always been really curious. How does Bachelor Nation, quote unquote, respond to you? Like, do are they harsh on you? Like, do you get a lot of feedback, positive or negative, from fans of the show? who like love the bachelor and not necessarily bachelor party and Juliet. Right. Um, I don't sometimes on Reddit, people write really mean things. I try not to read it. I, I'm really lucky. I mean, mostly the feedback I get is really positive. And I think that my podcast kind of exists a little bit separate from sort of like the really intense people on Reddit or like the sort of like people who are like really into like Ben and Ashley's podcast I think also because it sits within the sports space because by virtue of of starting with the ringer there's a lot of people who come to it with a slightly different attitude of like they watch it similar to you like wanting just to have fun and kind of it's like their sports um so yeah in general I mostly get really nice messages and you know like I was like buying a bagel last week and some couple came up to me and I was like really they're really nice like we're big fans so that that was really nice and yeah I mean um I'm glad that like when we were at Grantland, we used to put the pods on, on YouTube and like YouTube commenters are savage. So I'm glad that we <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, in general, the feedback's been pretty positive. You know, I also think I have a lot of couples that listen together again mm. because of the sports connection. So it's a lot of um, couples that kind of like their interests meet at reality TV and, and whatnot. So I think I've been pretty lucky The the feedback's really quite positive. And if it's not, I just delete it. I try to pretend it didn't exist. I I didn't see it. Okay. So speaking of people coming up to you, this is my story. This is where I'm going to kind of embarrass myself, but it's because of my deep love for you. As I've mentioned 900 times, I've listened to, I started listening on the right reasons. Used to love the the snacking taste tests because Mm, my show famously love snacks around here. We talk a lot about snacks on the show, but I was pregnant in the fall of 2019 and I had my baby my pre-baby shower dinner with my family at Petty Cash in LA oh cool and I saw you there and I said to my husband with my friend Deirdre I think I think so I said to my husband I was like and then and then Nick came right yes you remember I was like that's Juliet Littman and my husband's like no it's not I was like listen I have five celebrities in my heart and Juliet's one of them that's her and he was like no and I was like you have to go because I can't go I can't do it it's too embarrassing what if I have her on the podcast one day and I'm the weirdo who stalked her but it was you and my husband went up and said hi to you and it was I remember yeah I remember that's great cool yeah so I wish you were still in LA so we could bump into each other (laughs) at Petty Cash just went there for my birthday like two days ago nice 
Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, but yes, that was like my big LA celebrity signing. For some people, it's like That's J-Lo. So and for me, it's J-Lit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I am all, I, you know, I'm sure you get it because you podcast too. Like when you podcast, it sometimes feels like you're speaking into a void. Mm-hmm. You're like, does anyone, does anyone know about this? Yeah. Is anyone listening? And then, so it's nice to get feedback. I, I genuinely really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so glad. But it's true. You do feel like you're talking into a void or like that that people sometimes I get a lot of people who like think that they know me really well and that's like the reverse where I'm sort of confused by it because I'm like you know this really small portion of my life but I guess when someone's in your ears you feel like they're your friends because I feel that way about you also like Wesley Morris and Jenna Wortham I love their show so like I feel like when I had Jenna on this podcast I cried because I was so (laughs) I was like so overwhelmed because it's someone that you listen to and you feel like you know so I get it because I'm a huge fan of podcasts and have been. I started listening to like the Tony Kornheiser show in 2010. Oh my God. Cool. So I'm like early adopter, but it's like you start to feel like you know people. I don't know. Since podcasting is your work, do you listen to a lot for pleasure or not really? I listen to a ton of Ringer podcasts. So my main job is I'm head of production at the Ringer. So I oversee um, our pods, videos, and social. And so I listen to as many of our shows as possible. And then I try to do like, market research and as we have new ideas I try to like see shows that could be similar or talent scout or whatnot so I do listen um I love pop music and mm. I just listen like my my Spotify stats at the end of the year every year like even before I worked at Spotify were just absolutely outrageous <laughs> um and I I I did and do work a lot and I I like I'm a real background noise person like I said I go to sleep with tv on like I I need noise in the background so I'm like I have, sometimes I have a hard time podcast while I'm working because I'm so used to, to ambient noise. That I just tune out the content and it's just like noise. So I, I often have to like re-listen to like really have it penetrate. The the best time to listen for a podcast for me is when I'm driving alone. I mean, I think a lot of people say that, but um, yeah, but usually on long drives, I like pods. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Okay. I know you ranked your bachelor seasons, but my listeners might not know that. So can you just tell us your favorite and least favorite seasons of bachelor bachelor? Sure. Yes, my favorite seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are Kaylin Bristow, Hannah Brown, Jason Mesnick, and probably Ali Fedotowski. I like The Bachelorette more than The Bachelor. I'm just not going to apologize for that. It's a lot more fun to make fun of the guys than it is to make fun it of the women. It's just so much more fun. And it's easier. Like, it's not like, it doesn't feel as mean-spirited to make fun of the guys, sort of. Absolutely. Yeah. They're going to be fine. They're going to get hit on by so many girls. They're so it's hot. They're all fine. Yeah. You're fine. Yes, exactly. And it's just like, they're not going to be like, it's just the type of, the type of, um, judgments they get are like way less harsh. That's the thing is like, yes, there are double standards, but also society is not the same for men and for women. Right. So the sec- second time I've said that sensitive topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my least favorite are crystals, Ari Lion Dyke. I don't like Brad Womack. I just keep something about him gives me, gives me the heebie jeebies. And I think those are the bottom. The early seasons, I re- I tried to rewatch them. They're not all available online. They're they're really boring. Yeah. They're, just, they're like, oh, they haven't figured out reality TV yet. But it was still so new that it kind of propelled it forward. But so those those don't even count. But like, I wouldn't recommend going back to watch season one of The Bachelor. It's really a snooze. I remember watching that in high school, like like it was regular TV, and I watched for a few years, and then I stopped watching, and then I picked back up with um, Ashley PJ PJ and Ashley Ashley. JP. JP. Yeah, they just Whoops. broke up. Oh, yeah. I know. I saw that. Very sad. Um, but that was the season I picked back up and have been watching ever since. Um, if you were going to 
make changes to the show. I know you talk about this a lot on your show. You get they hand you the reins. They say you can make one major change. What's your one move? I think start with fewer fewer contestants so you can get mm. to know people a little bit better a little bit sooner. Like twenty. Um, yeah, like twenty, and then that, or just overhaul the dates and make them either like one of two extremes, either super simple actually dating like this is what it's like to actually go mm-hmm. on a date like someone has to actually plan it and pick a spot etc cetera, etc cetera. or extremely extravagant like kanye throwing a, a party for kim style right right one or the other that would be crazy if the contestants had to plan the dates because you might get like a lot of overlap like all the guys like planning the same boring date totally yeah totally I've- and and also it's like you you'd get a real feeling for each other. I don't know. And yeah. you'd see how creative they are, how they view dating. Like what, like what do they, what do you choose to do with your one shot and your like X number of dollar budgets? It basically would be like injecting some road rules into it. It's like right. you have $50. What can you do? God, I miss road rules. I wish that they Me would too. bring I it back. I feels like a show that could still work. I understand why real world doesn't work because everyone like be wanted to become famous, but I feel like with road rules, because there's an objective, like you're trying to do things mm-hmm. Even if you wanted to be famous, like you couldn't just like sit at the house and like try to be famous. And there was an element of like problem solving to that show where they, yeah. they did like they're like hand over your credit cards. And um, I don't know why it couldn't work. I, I feel like that's kind of where I would take reality TV is like just go simple. There's a reason why Survivor still is great. Why Top Chef is still great. They're really straightforward. Also, I think competition shows just can work better. So yeah, it's more get fun. Person. It's more fun than just like people being in a place. I recently um, was on Access Daily, which is hosted by oh. Kit. And yeah, the whole cool. time I was sitting there, I was like, I know this woman. How do I know this woman? I feel like I've met this woman. And then I went home and I was like, are you fucking kidding me from real from road rules? I was like, so excited. I was like, I, you know, because it's like you feel like, you know, these yeah, people. Of course. Again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so how do you it. how do you make time to read if you watch so much TV? <laughs> um. I go through spurts. I go through like really intense reading periods and then I won't read for a little bit, but like sometimes I read like three books in a week and then I won't read a book for like two weeks. Um, but then, you know, I've been back in New York for the, since the pandemic began. So I've been back to reading on the subway, which I really enjoy. Uh, but I'm kind of like a binge reader where I just like sit down. I'm like, I'm going to power through this right now. Like in one um, sitting. Yeah. Like the book we're going to discuss. I read in two sittings. Um, and I used, I lived in San Francisco right after college and did not like it. And so on Saturdays I would just like, okay, I'm going to read a book today. Like, I'm just like, well, what will it be? And I would just read one and I just wouldn't go to sleep until I was done. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm a major vacation reader. I, I just like to read, um, outside of my home too. Mm. So like, I'll go out, I'll go out for dinner by myself and bring a book. Um, I haven't, I've never been a big, like, I'm going to go to the bar and read a book, but I think that's because I didn't spend my twenties in New York. I might've, might have been that way if I had lived here. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just like, I grew up in a household where, um, I just like didn't have a curfew. I didn't have many rules except like if I didn't read, I was like not succeeding at life. So reading has always been really important, um, as like a value that I've had. So yeah, I don't know. I um, I have saved every book I've read. That I have, I have like a few books I've read on my Kindle or like on my iPad through Kindle. But for the most part, I'm like a big hard copy reader, and I have saved every book since I'm in high school. So I have like I have like thousands of books. Where do they? Where do you um, keep them? them? Um, on Cape Cod, um, in the house there. 
I was going to say in New York City, I don't know how people could have thousands of books space money. No, no, <laughs> no, no. And in, in my old LA apartment, I had quite a few and it was like, honestly insane. It was like overwhelming. It was like, it was like a cat person, but like a book person. Oh, <laughs> so I feel like that's really at least not like hair and like animal stuff. I yeah. feel like being a book person is no offense, cat people, but that's something else we share. Not super into animals. Just yeah. not an animal person. Just not, just not for, what's the point? I, I don't get it. I, I mean, I, I'm happy for them to exist and thrive, but like, why do I have to be involved? Yeah. Like, and are you one of the people where like, anytime you're around a dog, they want to be all over you? Cause yeah, I don't like them. Smell it. Yeah. And they're, I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't like you. And like, you're fine, but can you be like, do you see how I'm not going to touch you? Please don't come touch me. Thank you. <laughs> There's nothing more offensive than when people finding out you don't like animals being like, well, do you like children? And I'm just like, I'm just like, that is not the same. But I also, hate that no, question. I also don't really like children and I have children and I don't like, they're the only ones that I barely <laughs> tolerate, but I'm so thrilled when someone takes them away from me. I, I love kids and I think they're really fun to hang out with, but like, it's just not the same as a dog. Yeah. I don't know. And if you are comparing children to dogs, maybe you have a problem. <laughs> just don't get Turn out that around. Boom. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't like animals. That, I mean, whatever. I don't dislike animals. I would never harm an animal, but I'm just like, no, it doesn't do it for me. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. 
At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're going to transition to books now. So the first thing we do is this little segment called Ask the Stacks, where someone sends us a letter asking for book recommendations, and you're going to give them some. So this one comes from Katie. Uh, Katie says, I'm looking for summary reads, emphasis on coming of age stories, crushes, and carefree the carefree nature of summertime. I loved The Sisters Chase and The Twelve Lives of Samuel Hawley. Um, and books I didn't love are Dark Matter and The Great Alone. Okay, so I'll go first so you have time to think of okay. some books. Um, so the first book, Katie, this is sort of a cheat, but it's the book that um, Juliet and I are going to talk about at the end of the month, which is Emergency Contact by Mary H.K. Choi. It's about uh, a young woman who is starting college and she meets a guy through her roommate and they start sort of a texting flirtatious relationship and it's very crushy, very coming of age. Um, The second one I'm going to recommend for people who listen to the show, you know that I love this book, which is Anna Kay by Jenny Lee. It's the modern day retelling of Anna Karenina. It's rich kids in New York City doing drugs, having sex, gallivanting across the city, having a good time. And then my third rec is another book that I've talked about a bunch, which is Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. It's about a single mother who uh, is a writer and she reconnects with an old flame from her high school days for seven days in June. Um, and they're all really good and fun. And that this is not really my genre. So that I only have three recommendations, period. So <laughs> good, good luck. It's not, it's not really my genre either. Although I will say during the pandemic, I got really into romance novels for a short period mm. of time. Um, I think I've, I think I'm out of that, but I will say I read like three in a row. First of all, I, since I knew Bridgerton was coming, mm. um, the TV show, I read the, for the, read the first book and I was like scandalized. I was like, people write like this. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I would watch the TV show, but the book's not really worth it. Um, I just read Beach Read. Okay. Have you read that? I or haven't. Beach Read. Beach Read, I think it's pretty popular. Yeah, so maybe, it is. Maybe Katie's already read it, but I was like, okay, I get it. It's by Emily Henry. It's a great weekend long read, and it's about um, neighbors in their lake houses in Wisconsin that like are both writers and they have a flirtation and et cetera, et cetera. So I had a great time with it. There's like, you know, it's just an, it's an easy beach read and it's like kind of like meta about like making fun of the concept of beach reads and, right. and, um, and all that. And I also will just say, I, um, I will never forget reading me before you. It was like before Jojo mm. boys blew up, I bought it cause it was on a table in Barnes and Noble. It was not popular yet, but it was kind of big in the UK. And I, I wept. I mean, I absolutely wept at the end of that book and like, I had a I had a I had a real love affair with the Jojo Moyes view of the world for like eighteen months. So I would read really any of her books. There's if you don't, I mean again they're really popular, but like I really respond to warmth and writing more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And she has an extreme amount of warmth. I've never read any of her books. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, I honestly I loved Me Before You. I I would kind of stop there. There's two there's two sequels. Um. I actually think her best book is called um, The Girl You Left Behind, which is a story about a painting um, and whatever. It's, you know, kind of like a love story as well. I I, um, I don't know. I'm an Anglophile but, but in spite of myself. And I, uh, <laughs> I, um, I like, I like, I, I like used to love the royal family. Now I hate them and I, whatever. Anyway, I, um, 
I think you can't go wrong. There's just a, a beautiful warmth. So I, I would go with the girl you left behind um, and then me before you. And okay. then Beach Read. Okay. Um, now we're going to talk about your taste in books. So we always start here. Two sure. books you love and one book you hate. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with hate. Go ahead. I, I hate the Elena Ferrante books. That is mm. not friendship that I recognize. That is not, um, did not ring true for me. And I found them really, really cold. Like it's the opposite of the books that I like. There was not, I like a chatty, warm book that feels like you're have a blanket over you. And that was just, I, I, I was shocked when I read my brilliant friend. I was like, do I have to read all of this? When will this be over? And then I read articles about the next three. So I didn't have to read them. Okay. Um, so you didn't push through. No, I read my brilliant friend and I didn't read the other three. And I was just like, I'm done here. Um, has anyone said they hate that? No, you're the first, I think. Congratulations. I think. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I am shocked at how popular those books are. I don't know. Like I just, I have a lot of, um, lifelong female friends and I'm really close to my college roommates. And like that portrayal of friendship just like upset me. So I don't know. <laughs> I've not read that either. I I'm don't love fiction. That's like something I just really like nonfiction. And so a lot mm. of the times to read a fiction book, if it's not for the podcast, it's really got to speak like the idea of it really has to speak to me. And books about female friendship in general don't really turn me on it like that. <laughs> like I'm usually like, Meh. yeah, I, I have to say like, um, this is like maybe too personal, but I do feel like my view of the world is really skewed by how much I love novels written by like white guys. Like I just, I, I really do. Um, okay. I, I love... just talked about how I, I just made a post on Instagram about how my favorite books are nonfiction books by white men about white men who are like leading cults and killing people. Like that's my jam. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, um, I don't know. Like I just, there's so many that I love a lot of them are British and you know, like I, I love David Mitchell so much. David Lodge is my favorite writer. I'm sure that no one else here has said David Lodge is their favorite writer. Mm-hmm. Like we can get into that, but I, I do think it like affected my view of the world and of myself for a long time. Cause I just like, I, I lived in that, that sort of very narrow, I didn't realize the narrow world, but I, I still love those books. Uh, but I try to be more expansive in my reading to be a, a fuller human and also kinder to myself. Um, so two books that I loved. So David Lodge is um, an old British guy who's written like 20 books. Um, he has this really famous trilogy, which com- is comprised of Small World, Nice Work, and Changing Places. That's not the order. Um, I-, I love him and I love his sensibility. I would I would probably recommend Death Sentence or Thanks, which is two standalones. Um, I absolutely love those. Uh, for nonfiction, I would love to recommend, uh, or a book I really loved was... Um, a really good day by Elliot Waldman, which is her memoir of um, experimenting with microdosing. But it's really like one third memoir, one third history of the war on drugs, one third history of the development of LSD. And mm. um, I, I really, I loved that book. I thought that was fantastic. Um, can I just throw in one more? Of course. I, don't you don't let you should do nonfiction? But no. since we're talking, no, 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 um, please. Uh, one of my idols is Sarah Vowell, and I think Assassination Vacation is just like the best platonic ideal of a a, a, tra- a travelogue and it's her doing a, a road trip with her sister and her nephew going to do like all this research about um three assassinated presidents garfield lincoln and kennedy jackson oh, i believe jackson. no she doesn't do kennedy mm. it's the other three it's garfield lincoln yeah i think it's jackson i think it is jackson. and so anyway yeah and it's um it's fantastic i i love sarah vowell so 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 much she was the voice of violet and the incredibles and oh. 
one of the original This American Life contributors. And I adore her writing. Wait, I wanted I want you to talk more about how reading white men made you not be kind to yourself. I'm really curious about that. You know, I think it's just was like a view. I, I, I like I said, I, I the first author I really like felt for was John Irving. Um, a Widow for One Year was my favorite John Irving book. Is my favorite John Irving book, but it has like a it has a um a weirdly violent piece of it. There's like a violent like sex piece of it, and I think also like Garp has like the weird sexual thing about like women who give blowjobs and then have their tongues cut out. Um, I think that character was named like Jenny Owens or Jenny Field or something like that. And um, I think that it, I think that I just internalized like this kind of misogyny that was, that used to be really heralded at like the literary mm-hmm. establishment from like the John updates, the Philip Roth to the John Irvings and even to like the kinder, like sent more sensitive David Lodges. But I don't think it's like a necessarily like a, a particularly varied, and fair depiction of women a lot of the time. Um, and I think like, you know, a book like American Pastoral by Philip Roth, and obviously there's this whole real litigation of Philip Roth happening, but at the heart of that is really a relationship between a father and daughter. And that's sort of like what really moves that book forward. But I, I think in like every word that Philip Roth wrote, there's this like inherent misogyny that he probably wasn't even aware of. And also was like, just kind of condoned. And if you read asymmetry, which came out a few years ago, um, which is also great, but you know, it's sort of rumored that the first half is about the, uh, is about a Philip Roth character who has an affair with like a younger woman. And I just think there, I just think there's like a inherent objectification of women in a lot of the books that I really loved in my formative years that I didn't recognize because I wasn't reading books by women. Right. And then another book I really, really love is Manhattan beach by Jennifer Egan. Mm. And, um, it has like an amazing sex scene in it and it has like just this really incredible curious female protagonist and i i i love that book cuz i think it made me realize a the power of historical fiction which sometimes i i avoid and b how much a woman's perspective can change the way that you view the world if you like to view the world through fiction which i do that's so interesting i really like that because there is so much misogyny and i think um, also like racism and just like so many power dynamics and books written by men that we accept as true or, or definitive in a lot of ways that just are just some author's opinions, you know, like, but because yeah. they become, you know, the notable so-and-so or, you know, the revered so-and-so that becomes cultural canon, not just literary canon. Um, what's the last really great book you read? I think uh, maybe this is the point I'm at where I like used, I feel like my bar for loving a book used to be a lot lower. I'd be like, this would be so amazing. Everyone should read it. Um, I think my, the, my most riveting reads of the last like five years are Manhattan beach by Jennifer Egan. I, I should have mentioned that before. It's so fantastic. Um, and then not to toot my own horn, but I also was very early to the Sally Rooney train. And I remember mm. being on the subway, turning the pages of conversations with friends and just finding the writings like literally propulsive propulsive um so those two for sure i last summer read um real world or real life excuse me by brandon Brandon Taylor. taylor yeah and i found it to be one of the most sad books i've ever read but i found it really powerful um i found it sadness overwhelming and another book that made me feel that way that I also like really recommend but only if you are like on all the uppers in the world because it is so truly 
<laughs> sad and depressing is um, The Christadora by Tim Murphy, which is a really, really, really moving book about it kind of it weaves back and forth between present day Los Angeles and the Lower East Side um, during the AIDS epidemic. And um, it sort of centers on this building called the Christadora. It's a real, it, it, I think it also hit home for me because it was like going back and forth between New York and Silver Lake. And I lived in Los Feliz at the time, um, right on the cusp of Silver Lake. And um, that I'll never forget finishing that book, sitting on the beach in Santa Monica, just sobbing, just like it was the most sad ending. And it was like kind of like hopeless. And my mom had me read it. And I was like, what's wrong with you? This is the saddest <laughs> book I've ever read. And I remember sitting on the beach on a hot, crowded beach day in Santa Monica in like August and just being like, why is everyone having a good time? I just finished this really sad book. I need to talk about it. So <laughs> do you, who do you talk to about your books, your mom, or do you force other people my to mom. read them? No, my mom really. And then, um, I have a podcast called jam session that I co-host with my friend and colleague, Amanda Dobbins. And we talk about books too. Yeah. Um, what are you reading right now? Anything? You know, I I have just been like stacking up books next to me. I just started um, that Elizabeth Gilbert book, which is called like City of Girls or mm-hmm. something like that. So it's, it's kind of a summer beach read too. So I have that. And then I just read Trio by William Boyd, which is um, new-ish. And it's kind of like in the vein of like like the old colonial books I, I really enjoy, but um, a little bit, a little bit more... Um, aware of its of its problems and I really I really liked that it came out a few months ago I, I recommend it and I just fin- I finished that recently too are there any books besides the new Sally Rooney that's coming out uh that you're looking forward to um you know I I don't really like to be in the book conversation I like okay. to like be late to books Got it. so I often I'm like okay I'll pick this up or or I you know I'll just like go to the bookstore and like see what's recommended um but I, I have such a big stack of things I'm trying to get through. And I've also been trying to buy used books a little bit more. Mm. So I'm like trying to read some old stuff. And I just, re- I, I also um recently went through my parents like library and just like took a lot of stuff. So I've been reading some, some old things too. Like I just read this book called um, women about town by Laura Jacobs. I'm looking at it right now. And it's like a, a really simple, straightforward literary fiction book from like 2002. And I was like, cool, this is like really low commitment reading. I'm enjoying it. So I love um, I've been kind of reading some old stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really view it so much as escapism and, and because of my job, like so much content is the job, right? Like TV and movies and whatever's happening in, in the cultural world that reading is a real escape and like private time for me. So I, I try to like, just really make it as, as like singular and solo as possible. Do you ever have to read for work? And does that suck? Very infrequently. Amanda and I like thought about doing a book club on Jam Session, but like it just didn't work out. I will say I, I read Jane Fonda's memoir mm. for that, and I loved it. Now I'm obsessed with Jane Fonda. So <laughs> I think it was called like My Life So Far or some cheesy name like that. But um, I, I really liked that. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really. I Actually, my first job was in publishing. I worked at McSweeney's right after college, um, which is Dave Eggers' publishing company. And I didn't used to like to read our books at McSweeney's. I was like, I want to read for myself. Right. Then you're like, I need to get out of publishing because if I stay in publishing, I have to read books for work all the time. (laughs) I I really thought I would work in publishing and just, it just didn't happen, but it it all worked out for for the best. It definitely worked out. Um, Is there a book or a few maybe that you like love to recommend to people, sort of your go-to recommendations? Yeah. Um, I, I'll recommend David Lodge to anyone who will listen. I, I think his books are just so fun. I don't know. I just fucking love them. I don't know why they're not more popular. 
Um, another book, I, I, one book that I think is like totally random. I don't even know how I found it. It must've been a recommendation at some bookstore is Want Not by Jonathan Miles. And it's like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's three narratives. One is a woman who's like a dumpster diver in the East Village. One is a guy who's like living in suburban New Jersey. Um, and then a third is like in the Midwest. And it's sort of about like waste and like our relation to like the material world. But it's also like a really chatty and warm book. And I, I really, I really love it. I recommend it highly. I love your description of books as chatty because I have never heard anyone else ever use that to describe a book, but I really like it because I'm getting a sense of like what that means. And I think it's very cool. <laughs> I just like to, I don't know. I, I, um, I like to feel like I'm like in conversation with a book or like a book is talking to me. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I guess I just, I also like to chat. So yeah. <laughs> I too like to chat, but I just, I, you know, like when you talk about something a lot and then someone says something that you've never heard and you're like, wow, this is so like exciting for me because no one's ever used that word <laughs> in like 200 episodes of books. I've never heard someone describe a book as chatty. So I really like that. Um, do you set any like reading goals for yourself? Not just like number of books, but like what you read or anything. No, I just try. I, sometimes I'll be like, I'm finishing this by X date. I put like deadlines okay. for myself sometimes, or I'll be like, I will not go to sleep until I'm done here. Um, but otherwise, I don't. Like, I just, I just love reading so much. I don't, I don't want to feel encumbered by like right. by other people's lists or my own expectations. It's really like one of the only areas of my life where I feel um, unencumbered, just and I can just like really do my own thing. How do you organize your books? Or do you? Random. Random. I, I have like I have like pride of place where I'm like, these are my favorite books. They all need to hang out together. I try to group authors together. Usually when I like an author, I try to read all of his or her books. So then I'll end up with all of their books. Um, one of my other really weird favorites, and I know this is probably what you'd call problematic fave, is um, Jeff Dyer, who he's another fiction writer who like, I don't know. It's like in some ways hard to recommend his books, except like he's so he's so brilliant, but like also so problematic. Um, I feel like this whole episode could just be like Juliet's problematic faves, but um, but he's okay. he's got a lot of good ones. I yeah. think having problematic uh, favorites is normal. If you read anything that's like older than five years, and even that, it's yeah. like there's gonna be problematic shit. Like uh, so, I mean, not just in literature and everything. Everything totally. I've just totally. I've been coming to the thing, like to the to the thinking of just like every consumer has to decide what is their line for things, and like that's totally personal, you know. And like, yeah, I, I think this idea that like as a culture we are deciding who's in and who's out. Though I don't believe in cancel culture, but like that there is some sort of collective decision about this stuff. I think that that's really not correct. Like, I don't think that is sustainable in any real way. Yeah. Also, you do learn stuff from reading the bad stuff, right? Yeah, like, a thousand percent. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, you look at like Huck Finn and you're just like, well, we all learned some lessons from this really weird right. book <laughs> and we're still reading it. Right, so, Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So we know that you love warm, chatty books. I know that you love campus novels. I've heard you talk about that before. I do. Are there any genres that you avoid? I'm not a fantasy person by any means. Okay. No fantasy for me. Um but I think that's kind of it. Everything else is sort of like fair game for me. Like I, I also, I just like contemporary stuff though. I don't love old books. I also don't, I don't love like an epic. I don't love like a historical epic. Mm. Um, I like, I like a lot of sort of like comedy of manners types books. Okay. Like I, and, and I, I like to just, um, 
I think have a good time. Like sad books hit me really hard for whatever reason. I think emotions of novels hit me really hard. I think it's often because it like brings up a lot in myself. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I often don't like to read books that are too terribly sad. Hmm. And that's why I like remember the ones ones that that are. are... Did you ever read A Little Life? Oh my God, Tracy. Did that destroy you? Just, I destroyed. I don't think, I think you, I don't think I could finish it. The stuff with Jude. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just like, why? Why must this be so depressing? <laughs> I love depressing. And that was a book where I was even like, I don't know that I need all this. Like, this is my this is jam. Torture. Th- it was too much. It was like, why are we here? Yeah. We get it. It's sad. Did you read Did you read The Great Believers? No, I did not read The Great Believers, but I've heard similar. Similar. I've heard people like that one more though. Like that there's a little it's less. not as bad. Yeah. yeah. There's more hope. Yeah. Um, A little bit more. And there's like art in it. Well, there's art in both, but I um I don't love that book. It's another one that I think is kind of a little overrated. I sometimes think people find like sadness um to be like some kind of like barometer of like if a book is good or bad. And I'm just like I that's not for Same me. But I, I liked it. Yeah. It's it's kind of like the Oscar bait of mm-hmm. books, but I I liked it. Yeah. I don't know. I liked it. I, I yeah. agree. I think it's it's like sad for sadness sake. I find that to be really manipulative. I think that what mm-hmm. people respond to, though, when books are sad, especially with books, even more so than movies, is that they're feeling something. And I don't think people are yeah. often as in tune to their feelings of like positive feelings unless it's really, really sweet. And I think there's a lot yeah. of books that are neither super sweet or super sad that are doing things to people emotionally that they're just not able to articulate or like even register. And so people think, that it's not good. Whereas like, you know, if you're weeping over Jude, like this book did something to me, you know, <laughs> I, it's funny you say that I loved severance by Ling Ma, mm-hmm. which I read, um, in the summer of 2019. So well before the pandemic. And it was funny to me to see it. And I also loved, um, station 11. Ugh, loved. And it was fun. Yeah. Loved. Um, I read that on a plane t- back from Hawaii and I had a great time. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> I really wanted more of the comic, um, the graphic artist in Australia. Mm-hmm. I was like, this could have been its own book. I'm disappointed it's not. But it's funny. I love Severance and I read it. It really struck a chord. I was reading it at a time where I was like very much like thinking about sort of like work and our role as like just sort of people who do the same thing every day. And it was funny that it, you know, obviously became super popular at the beginning of the pandemic. It felt like really like prophetic. Um but I, it was funny to me because I feel like that book in some ways is so simple. It's so much about, it reminded me of another book I love, which is called Remainder by Tom McCarthy. And so much about like the repetition and the dullness of repetition in, in modern life. And it's funny to me that it took like this, you know, hopefully once in a generation pandemic for people to like appreciate it. Although it was appreciated already, but it's just funny. Like to me, it's not even a pandemic book. Mm. It just like happens to include this crazy fever or whatever, but it was much, much about the mundanity of of publishing as it is about anything else. Right. Right. You know, they're making station 11 into a movie series or something. I thought it was a TV show. And that's just not, it's just not going to go well, but good luck. I agree. I think it's going to be a little dull for the screen. Did you read, um, but Emily St. John Mandel's book that came out this past year. The Glass Castle like, or Glass Hotel or something. Yes. No, I didn't read Glass it. Glass Hotel. I So I'm like sort of the opposite of you, whereas like if a book is really good and I really like it, I sometimes don't want to read the other stuff that the author mm-hmm. has done because I'm like, I don't want to hate you. And especially if it's fiction, because yeah. I usually will not like it. Like it's so, I, I enjoy reading and I read a lot, obviously. And I like fiction fine, but like for a fiction book to be like an A plus for me, it takes so much more than a nonfiction book. I don't know why. So when I really like a fiction book, I'm like, 
can't ever read this author again. Like, <laughs> what are some of your favorites? Fiction? Yeah. Well, my problematic favorite is Gone with the Wind. It's only the greatest book I've ever read. <laughs> Casual thousand page book. No, um, I did love, I did love Station Eleven. Um, I love, I'm now I'm like blinking. Um, well, I, I mentioned some books earlier, Anna Kay and, um, mm. seven days in June, right. which are like not really me, but I loved them. Kiese Lehman has a re-release of his first mm. novel called long division that I just think is so fantastic. Um, Mary HK Choi's most recent book called yoke is so good. And like, really, I just loved it. I loved how she wrote about New York city. Um, so those are some just off the top of my head. I, I got to read that. I haven't read it. It's so good. I think it's, I, it's, we'll talk, we can talk about it more next time, but it's my favorite of all three of her books. I have read all three of her books, which is rare. I mean, Toni Morrison, Sula is a favorite. I read, I, I loved if Beale Street could talk. Like I read fiction. It's just for me, like fiction always kind of gets, because I think what it is, is I like real life things. Mm. And so if it's not true, I'm always like, well, this didn't really happen. So if it's nonfiction, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this thing happened. And so I'm always like taken by the thing itself. Whereas if it's in a sure. book, if it's fiction, I'm like, oh, that would never happen in real life, even if it's like based on a true story. So I don't know. I It's just like a sort of the difference between like the the trueness of a thing making it just that much better for me. Which I guess is sort of like reality TV versus scripted. Like I sort of like sure. reality more unless it's like Grey's Anatomy, which is my my fave. I think I, I have like a, a hope that something will always be a little different. I don't know what that is. And I think that like novels really fulfill that. Mm. Scratch that itch of like maybe things could be different. Yeah. But, which is very melancholy. <laughs> That's not warm and chatty. That's sort of sad. That's no. sort of a little life-ish of you. <laughs> Are there any books that have like surprised you that you've loved? Um, you know, one of my favorite books is um Playing for Keeps by David Havelstam, which is his biography of Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Mm. And I love that book. It is so good. Uh, David Halberstam's really just amazing and it's not breaking any news here. But um I think some some really some really good like sports nonfiction books are just like really captivating and kind of like based on what you just said you would really like them because it's sort of like you can fact check everything along the way you can that. be like well i could go i could yeah like and, and so like that is a book that i really loved um yeah i think i think i'm often caught off guard by like by nonfiction because i i'm the opposite of you i'm like well this just seems sort of like perfunctory but sure i'll, I'll read it anyway um and i guess that like i always think the people who like nonfiction also really like feel like they need to learn from every book which i don't know if you feel that way Sometimes. but i I don't feel that way when I read. Like, I'm just sort of like, this is a break for me in some way, or this is just like a conversation with myself and the author that they don't even know we're having. So, right. Yeah, I, th I think nonfiction is what tends to surprise me. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love Sarah Vowell so much, is because I just find her mind like, it's like goals for me. It's just like mm. the way that she thinks and how she's been able to translate that to the page is so amazing. Her, she wrote also a book about um the Marquis de Lafayette, which is like, very serendipitously came out right around the same time as Hamilton, which I also like really, really loved. Um, and like learn, and I know a lot about American history from both school and just from like going to so many American history sites that I, but I like didn't really know anything about what she was talking about in this book. And it was really cool. I, I really enjoyed it. And like, just like hearing about how much crap Thomas Jefferson brought back from 
France, like all this like gold and like jewels and stuff. Like I was like, wow, this, this guy sucks. Like just a lot, <laughs> just a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. <laughs> okay. I just have a few more for you and then we'll, we'll, sure. we'll end for the day. But, um, if you could assign one book to kids in high school, what would it be? This is like a pretty lame answer, but um, I think Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell is being lost to time because the movie is so bad, but it is <laughs> a stunning novel. It is an absolutely stunning novel. I, I really, I really loved it. Um, I think also like ultimately my favorite novel is The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, mm-hmm. and it's also completely stunning. Um, and I, I think those two like are just kind of, if you want to fall in love with fiction, those are two great places to start. Since you love TV, are there any books that you're just dying to see adapted or are there any TV adaptations that you think are way better than the book? Um, that's an interesting question. I feel like Succession feels like it's an ad- adaptation that's better than a book, but it's just a TV it's just show. A TV show. Um, <laughs> it does have real think... bookish vibes, like book series vibes, like of some yeah. family. I um I watched seasons one and two of Game of Thrones like when I was sick once, and then three season three hadn't come out yet, so I was like, okay, I'll read book three. And then I was like, I can't believe people spend their time on this. I'd much rather watch the show. <laughs> so I I think Game of Thrones is better than the books, but that's a really unpopular opinion. Um, and then. If I could adapt something, I, that's interesting. You know, I feel like, um, the Jasmine Guillory books would make mm. for a really good anthology series. Like you could do, you know, just sort of like each season could be a different one of her books and you could like, her world is so like interconnected. Yeah. It feels like you could have characters like weaving in and out. And I, there is no, there, I have a, just a boundless appetite for streaming rom-com content. Like I will watch literally everything. Right. So I think I think it'd be really cool if like if like all of her books were like taken together and turned into like a multi-season series. And I think that you could really like she's a world builder. I feel like she doesn't get credit for that, yeah. but like the the way that she sees the world is is um really suffuses all of her books. And I think that would be a cool one. Yeah, that's a good I think that would be very watchable. A thousand percent. Definitely. Love a rom com. I also feel like can you just pass this quick message on to Bill Simmons? We need a rewatchables with you. And doing How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I just can't believe it hasn't <laughs> oh, so- been done. It's such a rewatchable film. It's on constantly. Did we do How to Lose a Guy? I thought we did a I, long time ago. I and I, I might have so. not done I it. I feel like We've, we're almost at 200. We just did Legally Blonde. So no, good. I feel like rom-coms. So yeah. good. It's a great, great movie. It holds up really it well. It does. I watched it recently. It's so good. And I love the musical on Broadway. Like a real loser. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. <laughs> okay, here's my last one for you. Um, okay. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? Joe Biden, huh? Yeah. Um, I wonder what Biden reads. He doesn't strike me as a reader. Me neither. I feel like he's just like listens to, to music. Um, if I could have him read one book. I bet he reads presidential biographies. I bet that's all he reads, like one genre. But probably like Doris Kearns Goodwin. Yeah, ones. Like, like, not, old, like old. Not yeah, good yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, like real, real yeah. dry. You know, if uh, that's a tough one. I'm just trying to think of some of the stuff I've read recently that I feel like he should read. Well, I think it should be by a woman, first of all. Okay. Um, I feel like, just feel like that's a perspective that would be necessary um, for our male president as to count to, to balance some of that out. And God, I don't know. That's really tough. <laughs> 
just one one book. I'm just trying to think about like what would catch Joe Biden off guard that he also would connect with. Um, I don't know, like maybe some Toni Morrison. Okay, I feel like I feel like he should read. I definitely feel like he should read some Toni Morrison. I like can't go wrong with that. I'm pretty certain he hasn't, right? Like I just don't see that. I don't. I don't think we're gonna be getting like biannual book lists, book lists for him yeah. like we get from Obama. Yeah. Great. I don't know. I just can't go wrong. <laughs> you really can't go wrong with Toni Morrison and Joe Biden. Please pick it up. Um, okay, everybody, we will be back the last week of the month with Juliet again talking about Emergency Contact by Mary H.K. Choi. There will be spoilers, so please read, read, read. Um, Juliet, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Yay. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you for listening and thank you to Juliet for being my guest. Our August book club pick is Emergency Contact by Mary H.K. Choi. We will discuss the book on the show on Wednesday, August 25th with Juliet Littman. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting The Stacks by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at the stacks pod on instagram at the stacks pod underscore on twitter and check out the stacks sebastian alcala is our sound editor and producer our graphic designer is robin mccrite and our theme music is from tagiragis the stacks is created and produced by me tracy thomas 